Sweet. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? Thanks for joining the podcast. Hey, doing great, Dave. How's your day going? <laughs> it's going great. Um, you were just mentioning that you did stand-up comedy. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, boy, for a little bit. Uh, for a hot minute, I tried it. Um, the real story of how I started is pretty embarrassing, but I'm here, so I might as well tell the rest of the world. Uh, that's the comedian side, right? Like, you gotta... That's the funny aspect of it. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I always wanted to do it, and I found this this festival that had like an open mic competition and I tried it out. What was the name of the festival? Um, it was like, I think it was actually like Los Angeles comic-con, like okay. one of them down there. Um, and I tried it out without even doing like, I just signed up and I bombed so bad. It was like traumatic. <laughs> like I had the whole crowd against me. It was a big crowd. Oh man. So uh, for me, I'm, I'm very much the kind of person, like if I, if I fail at something once, like I got to keep doing it until I mm. am satisfied with how good I do. Right. So then I, I went back to school. I was at U of M for grad school and then started doing open mics at like Ann Arbor Comedy Club and all that. Wow. And the showcase? Yeah. Showcase. Um, made some good friends too. Uh, had a really good time. You know, obviously um, it's tough. It was very tough. Uh, but by the time I had my last show, I was able to kind of work the crowd and I was satisfied. That was right when COVID happened. So I haven't been on a stage since because that wow. kind of took out everything out of it. I, COVID was a huge turning point for yeah. my life and we can get into that. But yeah, it's it was a lot of fun. It helped me with coaching. It helped me with um, dealing with the crowd and, and kind of reacting and not, I kind of, it's weird. I kind of see it. Coaching is a lot. Coaching a big group is kind of like stand-up comedy because it is a lot of crowd work. So, you know, if one kid is is acting up and, you react negatively to it. You give that kid the power. You know, right? Go too much of the power dynamics with five year olds. But you know what I mean? Like, right? You you don't want to just overreact to things that happen and, and be able to think on your feet and react and right. Um, so I see a lot of parallels there. It was fun. I there was one guy who's now pretty big. His name's Dusty Slay. Who's around? Who I was able to open for? Um. Definitely was not good enough to open for him, but I did. So it's, you know, that's very cool. Yeah, stand-up comedy is one of those interesting things because I was just talking to a guy um, on the podcast that I actually work with. We were doing a live last night to talk about our contract um, proposal that the GM offered us. Sure. And um, his cousin is actually a professional stand-up comedian. He's open for Dane Cook. I've met him. Well, didn't actually meet him. I I seen him at the uh, open for Dane Cook. I went to go see Dane Cook in Mount Pleasant. Nice. And Vinny Fastline is his name. And um, that's my friend's cousin. And I've somehow like seen on social media that they were related. And I'm like, hey, man, how are you related, related to Vinny Fastline? And he's like, oh, that's my cousin. Hmm. And uh, anyways, so we we're talking about that and how difficult it is in order to break through that industry. It's so difficult. And then it, it's one of those it's one of those professions that just harbors and harbors and it creates so much depression amongst the comedians because it's so hard because you're you're literally trying to make you're trying to build success off of making people laugh that's such a heavy burden <laughs> yeah well i think a lot of people will say that a lot of the best comedians they derive their humor from that sort of right. struggle and pain but yeah, I mean, you look at a guy like, I mean, one of the biggest ones now is you think of Kevin Hart and, and people see him as sort of an overnight success when in reality it was the opposite. I think that he was working and doing every minor role he could do 
until he started getting his break and it's just as hard to sustain that success yeah because you've seen comedians just have a couple years of of living the high life and then all of a sudden they're gone right like eddie murphy yeah i mean he was one of the greatest yeah. and then he just fell off stopped doing stand-up comedy but he was a good actor too yeah he got into acting for a little while that one i think was more by choice i think of like i mean dane cook is actually He's, probably a good example i know yeah. he had issues with it he got basically robbed by his manager which was which is was was his brother yeah awful <laughs> story um, yeah. but there's a lot of i'm trying to think of another one i mean you know, when i was in middle school carlos mencia was the big thing and then he got called up ironically by the podcast king yeah. at this point joe rogan um and then that took a huge dip and you know um well it's got to be one of those careers that's so hard because you have to have content that like resonates in in real time in in that time in history and culture and if it doesn't then it's just i don't know well it's the same thing with a musician who or a band that their first two albums are amazing because they're writing about their experience of trying to make it and then they get to a point where they're living so luxuriously and so comfortably it's it's hard to really derive that sort of inspiration because they don't really have it's right it's different and it's and even the struggles they are having they're very different than the average person the average person can't relate to dealing with contract negotiations with record labels right and, and that kind of stuff or yeah having to make sure your kids aren't getting harassed at school because their dad's so famous which is i think of uh one of my favorite rappers is atmosphere and a lot of his stuff now is a lot more based on like his dad life I might have to go back now because I'm a dad and can listen to it. But like, <laughs> you know, like compared to when he was like 23 and rapping about like just in trying to make it through life. And it's just a very different appeal. Right. And I think the same thing with comedians, because, you know, how much are you really interacting with the average person? Right. If you're. You know, if, well, that's one of the biggest things about like, uh, you, like you mentioned rappers, yeah. uh, like you look at some of the the I mean, a lot of the rappers came from nothing. They grew up in like impoverished communities and then that's what inspired them to be the greatest in like Eminem. Yeah. It's like now he's kind of out of touch with society. It's like, how can you how can you create music that people like that you came from resonate with? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's because you, you're living a different lifestyle now. Yeah, you're living a different lifestyle. You have to find a way to kind of keep yourself grounded. Um, well, I think of like so I'm get into my background I'm from Los Angeles originally and I can kind of speak that when you're in that gated community of, of the nice parts of LA you're you're kind of trained to stay away from the other parts that makes sense so is that where you're from the like the nicer part of LA uh somewhere in the middle I would okay. say uh the valley does that ring a bell okay yeah um see it in movies yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're kind of the butt of jokes of all that um the movie i can think of is the karate kid the original okay. one yeah like, that's the valley that uh i'm trying to think that i kind of grew up in um it was an it was an okay area but i'm talking like if, if you're one of these right now if you're one of these incredibly wealthy celebrities or or anybody it's gotten a lot less um a lot less of a middle class so it's like either you're incredibly wealthy and gonna get the gated community or you're you're doing what you can and right right there's not as much of a middle ground as there used to be anymore uh, i feel like it's like that everywhere I, i'm from originally from west palm beach and uh florida oh and uh it's is a lot like that because it, have you ever been there 
West Palm Beach. What's the biggest city? It's near. Uh, West Palm Beach is the biggest city. Then there's um, like Fort Lauderdale is a little south of there. It's probably like 45 minutes north of Miami. Okay, around there, on the yeah. coast, right on the coast. Yeah. Um, but that's where like uh, Mar-a-Lago Mar is. Um, okay, yeah. Where Donald Trump has a house and all these other celebrities have houses. And it's what's crazy about it is when you go there, Mar-a-Lago Mar Mar is like a little coast, like it's on an it's an island. You cross a bridge, get on get on the little island, and there's just mansions everywhere. But along the coastline, there's you know all these stores, and it's like a kind of touristy. But then just like a couple blocks from there, it's just ghetto. It's poor. Yeah. It's a poor community. It's crazy because like you literally have paradise, but then you have just a huge separation amongst like the the I guess the um the community that that is there it's mm -hmm. it's crazy yeah it's wild it's a wild like thing to witness yeah and i'd seen it pretty much i've lived all over the country at this point uh california oregon kansas vegas um it's everywhere now and it's only getting worse in terms of you know you got you had these little bubbles, you know, your suburb, your suburbs, suburbs and neighborhoods. <laughs> I do that all the time on the podcast. I'm like, what did I even say? <laughs> <laughs> what is that accent? Um, but like, I guess my, I grew up in Northridge. Like when I grew up, like you really wouldn't see a lot of the, um, uh, you know, a lot of the homeless population wouldn't really trickle over from like all the way down to Santa Monica. But now it's five blocks down the road. Getting a little older, it's four blocks down the road. And, and now it's... You know, you see a huge tent about a block wide, uh, not, not just one tent, like a huge wow. tent city. And it's pretty much everywhere under every overpass. And it's hard to go back, love my family, but it's like, it's kind of like seeing like, you know, you grew up in something and it just kind of see it go to, right. go to where it is. Right. Um, that's one thing that a lot of people, um, especially here in Lansing, that because this is like one of those super touchy subjects because there's so many people that are like, well, homeless people should be able to set up tent wherever they want. But it's like, okay, but they should not be able to set up tent like in your backyard. And they should not be able to set up tent in like a public park where you take your kids to play on a swing set. They should not be able to set up tent on a river trail where people walk and people come to visit the city and now they don't want to come to the city and spend money because there's p homeless people sleeping in a tent on the on the river. Yeah. Like that's not okay. But like what do you do? Oh man. I was here to talk basketball. I don't <laughs> <laughs> We talk about everything. We'll get into it. We have um, an hour. Yeah. We still have 50 minutes. <laughs> oh man, that's fair. I'm trying to think <sighs> from a policy standpoint. I mean, a lot of it is drugs. Um cuz you see, I mean, a lot of it is you're trying to fix a symptom of a greater problem, I think, as far as homeless population goes, is there's a lot of different things. I'm, I'm trying to form my head in a second. And that, that's the thing about um, talking about these things is like you don't really you don't really know how to break down the problem because it, there's a lot of problems. It's there's mental health, there's drug abuse, there's just um people that are uh mentally uh they're mentally ill um and i mean I, I watched a guy in front of uh the rescue mission a few weeks ago he was special needs like 
extremely special needs and you could tell he was homeless and it's like you know why that guy's homeless because he probably there's something wrong with him mentally and he can't he can't provide for himself and it's unfortunate yeah but so it's like there's got to be programs there's got to be certain programs to help people like that but then there's other things you know there are programs and then people don't take advantage of them too they would prefer to be involved in drugs and and live that kind of lifestyle too yeah and i've seen i think i've seen both extremes in my time i've you know i was had a bunch i went to college in oregon so it's like i know people, where'd you go uh here actually uh university of oregon <laughs> um uh i but in portland like you see it all like they give them everything they want and it's not a, at a lot of times there's again there's both sides there's people who just something's going on with them that they don't have the ability to to get on their own two feet and there are people who just genuinely just don't care right now, however they get to that point in their lives that's i think that's kind of the, the greater societal issue is there's a lot of despair and just same thing it's not even just homeless people that are having huge overdoses i think one of the latest one of the leading deaths of people our age 18 to 35 is overdose now wow so it's all fentanyl especially in the midwest oh man right so is that just from recreational drugs or is that is that from like uh like hardcore drugs uh fentanyl and whether mixed mixed laced in right i actually haven't seen if it's if it's if it's distinguished of like if someone intended to take it or not um i would imagine a lot of it is intentional um that's actually a really good question I'm not sure but i think the whole idea of just okay so on one side you have the people who are just completely in despair and have maybe no societal support no family support right, right. just said it's you know this is what i'm going to do it is what it is and there isn't really a a point of pride for people to go out and, and take care of them because there is sort of that thing of like oh I'll, I'll vote for it and people who i vote for will take care of it but i in my opinion i've i've seen too much of uh <laughs> i've seen too much of the promises not being kept from la to portland to think like if 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 there was a a good government program to do i don't trust the people in charge to in implement it that's my <laughs> big thing right now right. it's like i it's like do i want all this solved yes do i trust you guys to solve it no right because i right. and, and it's like because again like do i think the people in california actually want to solve like the people in charge i don't really think they care as far as the homeless population yeah i mean first of all there's a lot of people who get paid six figures yeah to be to to help with it if that goes away tomorrow they don't have a job right yeah so yeah what do you do and there's also there's the the crime aspect i mean if we're talking just to california there's that i forget the exact prop but it's basically like under 900 dollars is what's the word i'm looking for misdemeanor um it's not right, like you right. just slap on the wrist so yeah. there's also kind of this culture like you know no one's really gonna get in trouble for anything right but also no one's really gonna there's no accountability yeah exactly. whatsoever yeah 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 that's uh that, that's huge because if you can just walk into a store and steal 900 dollars worth of stuff and get away with it then why wouldn't you just keep doing that <laughs> i would oh yeah um so you said you went to school in oregon what did you go to school for or did you also went to michigan yeah so undergrad so, for oregon i went okay. for uh, i got my major in advertising um maybe i should 
work with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I had a really interesting because I had no idea what I think most people didn't know can what they want to do. Can you move the microphone? Yeah, closer? yeah. Sorry, you can drag it back. Good idea. Um, that way you can chill. There we go. There you go. Yeah, I mean, for undergrad, I did advertising. I was not really sure what I wanted to work in music. Actually, coming out of school, um, was managing bands like my friends' bands and, and undergrad and all that, and. Did my finished up time there, had a lot of fun. Um, but really wasn't sure what I wanted to do, like actually want to do. So getting out of school, I got up, I went back to LA, got a job at a youth basketball program called Royal Basketball School, which was the basis of what I'm doing now with Dojo. The entire pretty much the entire foundation is from them. Um, and that's I'll say that out in the open because I owe them a lot. Um, spent started as a coach, just as a side job while I look for other stuff. Ended up working for them for marketing and sales, doing everything under the sun for them. It was essentially a GM role from advertising to doing email blasts to I was interviewing recruiting coaches to work for us. I was trying to find new locations for us to host practices. Um, I would set up uh, times for us to go play halftime at the Clippers game, like a lot of, a lot of different stuff. Really enjoyed it. Met a lot of cool people, met a lot of former like pro NBA Euro basketball players, a lot of different people. Um, at a certain point I figured out that I didn't want to live in LA anymore. I think I kind of always knew that, but I really figured (laughs) it out when I went home and I was like, eh, this is not for me. So I, I started to apply for grad schools. Um, the day after I took the GRE, I flew to Michigan to visit my best friend who was at Oakland for his for his master's. And uh, I matched with my wife on Tinder. We went on a date. We were really fond of each other, so we stayed in touch. And we, I told her, you know, I'm going to move her across the country. I don't know where. I was applying pretty much as far as away as I can get as possible. <laughs> and she's like, that's great. You should try Michigan. I'm like, there's no way I'm getting into Michigan, but sure. And I got in somehow. Um, <laughs> So that's how that uh, transpired there. Um, got to Michigan, had kind of two paths that I was looking at. One was to try and be the actual coaching side, really want to do the collegiate coaching side. Um, the other side was I was doing ticket sales and sponsorship, more the more the sales side of of sports. So I did those two things while I was at Michigan um was a grad was a ticket sales rep and then a student manager for the women's team for a year um then COVID hit and then everything shut down i actually had pretty major surgery the day it shut down which was pretty nuts but things changed no one knew what was going to happen with professional sports major surgery like life-threatening no, not life threatening. It was a it was a hernia surgery. Oh, okay. So even if COVID had never happened, I was I was done for the year. I couldn't. Wow. It was the most painful experience of my life. How'd you do it? Um, laparoscopic. I'm really bad with the term. Yeah. But well, it, how did you get the hernia? Oh, I, well, I think it's genetic because my dad had it, but I think I'm pretty sure I put too much on the squat rack and. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like it wasn't totally self-induced <laughs> yeah a little bit you know <laughs> that ego lift i've never know. actually had a hernia but i i hear they're pretty painful the hernia itself was was <laughs> <laughs> so 
the per uh, oh go ahead essentially what hernia is like your intestines are like yeah. pretty much ripped open right and it's coming out yeah so it and it doesn't like at least mine it 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 hurt like day in day out like a three out of ten it would hurt when i got up it hurt when i laid down i thought it was just like a muscle like a sore muscle so i spent about a week trying to foam roll it out wow then i tried to do an ab workout with it and then it went to an eight. Oh my was, gosh i thought oh this is serious <laughs> um then i had the surgery and that was like a 15 out of 10. i have never been in so much pain in my life wow Oof, it was my my whole stomach was black and blue sorry for everyone back home this is really disgusting um <laughs> whole black and blue like i could barely walk without losing my breath like it was and then the minute i woke up from surgery the whole country had shut down Whoa. so my dad woke up and was like hey like i gotta fly back to california because he had flew out to take care of me and my wife had surgery the day before so Whoa. she was out well she had set yeah we had bad timing <laughs> so i had my my friend and co my old co-worker my friend ryan come take care of me for three days while i was just writhing in pain man so it was a it was a very intense uh start to covid for me how long did it take you to recover from that oh i don't know if i really ever i mean i can still feel it once in a while like wow once in a blue moon if i walk too much it'll it'll get sore but wow I would say I was probably like back at the gym, able to lift around July, September ish. But still, I by that point, because they had cut my abs open, I had gained a lot of weight and mm -hmm. lost all my progress. So, um, it was a it was once that hurdle was done, there was another one to climb. So, what was the next one? Uh, getting in shape, because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I I had lost actually lost weight during the season because I was rebounding and, and doing all this all this physical activity and then COVID hit and then I gained it all back and then I lost it all um and then gained a little bit back but not all of it so it's it's been a it's been a whirlwind for that wow so <sighs> that's that's brutal that's one of my biggest fears is having something like that happen to where I get laid up and I just cannot do anything yeah look I didn't I didn't do what I could have done either. Like I, I took, I basically just embraced the loss and didn't really eat the way I should have. Again, COVID mm -hmm. didn't make it easy, but that's right. an excuse. Right. If it happens again, or if something, ha God forbid, ever happens to you, it you eat right, it won't be as bad. Right. I yeah. just, I, it's just like everything that I, you know, I wanted to coach so bad, and I don't think had COVID not happened, I don't think I'm going to be saying I'm going to be. You know sit next to juan howard or tom Mizzo if not <laughs> but it definitely felt like at the time like man i did all this and now it's just right what's what's even going to happen with my life right i think a lot of people i mean most people probably felt most people felt super depressed and they felt hopeless during that time and i could imagine that being down and not being able to really go about your normal activities even physically like being able to lift and work out i mean i guess for a lot of people they couldn't do that either because then gyms were closed but um but even being able to go for a walk or something like that it had to be like pretty depressing yeah oh yeah it was it was painful and then i did have home gym stuff it wasn't the best in the world but i could use it but yeah I couldn't use that right and can't then, lift 
no, no. <laughs> I could barely lift myself up in the air. Um, so it was tough, but, um, I, so paper. when, when did you move to Lansing? You live in Lansing, right? Or you live near here? Uh, do it. Do it. Okay. But yeah. Um, so I moved back here, right back. I moved here about a year ago. It's kind of a little bit early story, but I, I got a job in Michigan state doing their ticket sales and about two months into moving here, I found out my wife was pregnant. So when I, so at that point, they kind of skipping a gap, but at that point I, I decided to make coaching kind of a side thing at the time and go to the sales side full time. So I did the Michigan state side wife got pregnant. Then everything again changed. It's like, Oh, I'm looking at the numbers and I'm, I'm all my money's going to go to daycare. All my money is going to go to this. So am I really just, what am I even working for at this point? Oh. That's one of the biggest things about having a child is the daycare. The childcare is so expensive. Yeah. It, and it, it's like, well, that's one thing my wife and I had to weigh too is when we, cause I mean, we both make good money, but there was a certain point in time where one of our checks would just go to that. And it's like, would it even be beneficial to have one of us working? Like, would it be, it might be better for one of us to just quit. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. It's insane. And it, I mean, Lansing's on the, on the spectrum. I'd say it's better than, you know, you think about like the, L- LA or something like that. God forbid, like, right. It's the worst. I mean, what, it, what is the going rate now for um, childcare? Do you know? <sighs> That's a good question. I don't think we had to get to that far, thankfully. By that point, I mean, I won't go into the details of my what my salary was, but it yeah. was about um I think the best way to put it. The average salary is about what it costs for daycare. Yeah. The average American salary, I would say. I know that when this was eight years ago, my daughter was just born and we were trying to figure out um how like what daycare we were gonna put her in and um we were looking at a daycare and we went there and visited and everything. It was nice. Um just normal daycare though and it was like two days a week two or three days a week half days and it was like 600 bucks a week I'm like this is insane for one child for one child yeah so like, who can afford that two thousand four hundred a month something like that that's insane yeah, yeah. like what yeah <laughs> and there's always demand for it too like you'll find yeah. people that'll pay and there's not enough spots that's why they can charge so much I right mean, the person I talked to about dojo, it's funny. Like he, he said, you know, the part of your benefit is you do have a daycare. I'm like, it's only for an hour, but I guess. Yeah. But even that's hard to find. Um, I think it's a lot harder also. Cause it's, it's, you don't know who to trust anymore. <laughs> like yeah. COVID kind of screwed everything up with that. Cause you, I'm trying Totally lost your train of thought. Forgive me for that. Um, well, you had you had mentioned that it's hard to trust people, and and especially with your kids, and that's like one of the things. That's the most important thing when you're dropping your kids off at a program or with somebody. You, you want to be able to trust them, and it's hard. It's hard to in this day and age. Yeah, you never know who you're getting. Yeah, and I guess what I was getting at is, I feel like during COVID, people would see a lot more of like what their after school program or their teachers were doing, and people are now more skeptical of just saying, just dropping someone off. Like when I was a kid, like, and I, I don't know if you probably run the same age. I'm 30. 
You're 30? I'm 30. Okay, I'm older. Wow. How <laughs> old are you? 31. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not that much older. No, I'm ancient now. <laughs> <laughs> Do I look older? Um, no, I was I was saying with the kids. I, oh, okay. But that's you know, could have them, like you had them younger. So um when I was a kid, it, I feel like our generation our parents' generation had a lot more of a deep trust for institutions, whether it be schools, churches, everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we came home and we said the teacher or or had a problem, it was usually like, what did the kid do? Right. And there's kind of memes about it. Like people make fun of it. Like, oh, kids are, you know, like kids never take accountability. But I think there, there might be a little bit of that. But I think it's also just people are our generation grew up with it. And it was like, OK, we're a little more skeptical than just saying here, go enjoy public school. We'll, we'll see you in nine hours. Right. I think there's. Right. And I think it's also gotten a little like public schools haven't. I wouldn't say they've gotten any better recently. No, no, <laughs> they they have not in in a lot of different ways. Um, they've gotten worse. I I think it has a lot to do with social media. Honestly, I think it has to do with the fact that like uh, I mean we've all seen those videos of a teacher who's flipping out in class, yeah, and then a student's recording them. Like, and then everybody becomes aware of that. Like, oh, okay, there's some crazy teachers out there. <laughs> and so that makes people more skeptical skeptical on who they want to leave their children with. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've seen it all the time now. I think it's that the other side also is just kids taking videos of other kids, like fights or like yeah. what they're doing in school. Like, that's the thing that, you know, you can't, I mean, I, I was like in high school when freaking world star hip hop was became like a big thing, you know, and now that's just like the norm is you pull up right. Twitter or Instagram and you see a, kid, a video of two 14 year olds brawling. It's just, I was uh, driving through MSU last week, last weekend. And as I was turning this corner, there's a, like a frat party out front and this dude and this other guy um, were in a fight and this guy threw the first punch and knocked this guy out. And then this dude just fell and hit his head on the road, on the, on the, like the, he was like in between the road and the curb. Yeah. Yeah. And just fell in the road. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that dude's head. <laughs> I, Hopefully yeah, he's not dead or brain damaged. I was say the dude who threw the punch might be getting charged. Yeah. And yeah. That's the thing that they don't really. Well, what's crazy is like, I think about it. Like I never got into a fight like that when I was that age, but like, you don't think about consequences when you're a young person. You don't think about the things that could happen. Yeah. But like, I mean, obviously being a parent, you do think about those things more. Yeah, I I started seeing things that I never thought I'd see in terms of just like what I look for and how I kind of analyze situations. It's it also makes you go back and think of how how tough your parents were. Like, oh, <laughs> they had a point. Maybe I should have listened <laughs> to them a little more. Maybe. Um, but no, I think it's it's there's also a lot more options now, I think. You're seeing a lot more kids go to homeschool. You're seeing you're seeing a yeah. lot more kids. You really don't like microphones, do you? No, I, I like <laughs> rocking back and forth. You know, it's just my my thing. Um, you see a lot more, uh, a lot more uh, parents or ones saying, "Okay, I'm going to stay at home. It's not worth it." Um, and it's again, it's Lansing may be bad. Again, it's it's a lot worse when you go to places like. I mean, I'm trying to live in the New York City right now. Like, right. You know, right. I had. Uh, I got a cousin who was a very success, successful lawyer. Her husband successful in the banking industry in New York. They were living in Manhattan, and I think their apartment was maybe about as big as this room. Whoa! And that's not a knock on the room, but if you're, you know, you're Whoa. paying. Yeah, I think they're paying. I, 
four or five thousand a month. Wow. And it's like, is it just the two of them? You said they had a baby. Yeah. Well, oh at the my time, gosh. Yeah. And really little baby. But now they're in living in Connecticut. Big old house. But the thing is, they had to move out of the city to get something like that. Yeah. You can't. And, I mean, that's just wow. Yeah. That's insane. I can't even I like and I get the appeal of living there. But when when a kid's involved, like, I don't really see that appeal anymore. I'm yeah. 24 and you said there's there's 100 bars I can walk to within a mile. Oh, yeah, I'll I'll pay whatever <laughs> you want me to sign me up now. I don't know. Like, I I keep getting people ask me, like, do you ever think you'll move back to like a, a big city? And then people's people's opinion of what a big city is always changes. But I people think, think Lansing's big. <laughs> is it? <People> no, <laughs> no, it is not. No, it's I would say it's about. Uh, I, I I think Lansing's around the size of a city I'm looking for at this point. It's uh and it's growing too, but it's growing at a, like a slow, steady pace, which is nice. Yeah, because like you can get in tr five o'clock traffic and be out of it within uh, like thirty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get around the block in LA in thirty minutes. You know. Yeah, I believe that. That's crazy. I drove through Atlanta uh a year like a year ago, and that was the worst experience of my life. Like Atlanta sucks to drive through. I'm never coming here. Yeah, I, <laughs> Atlanta, L.A., Miami, like, it's just, it's, I mean, have you ever been to Dallas? I have not. No, I want to go to Texas, though. Okay, if you ever get, when you ever fly into Dallas, they have a five-lane highway getting out of there, and it almost turns into, like, a game of Mario Kart, because all the, <laughs> the freaking lines disappear, and it's just people just kind of merging whenever they want to. Oh, my god, It's insane. Um, yeah, but it, it's a lot different here, and... and when you live somewhere for a long time, you have to also accustomize yourself to the driving habits. So I was living before this was Vegas and then briefly LA when we were doing our transition and I got out here and I realized I got to take my foot off the pedal. <laughs> <laughs> the cops are here. Like not don't really write a lot of tickets. I'll say, yeah, but that doesn't mean I'm not giving them a chance if I'm just going <laughs> like 85, you know, <laughs> I drive 85 consistently, so. Oh, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> um, I may or may not. Um, now, how did you get into the dojo? Like, what do you, where, I mean, obviously you were part of a program in LA that was similar, right, yeah. LA? Um, what made you want to start that here? Um, that's a good question. I always kind of gravitated towards coaching. I think I mentioned it's always something I wanted to do. I actually took a break from last year just because my last prior to this uh, didn't end the best more me than anyone else. When I left my job, my plan was I'm going to give it a couple of months, get adjusted to the fatherhood thing, and then go from there. I think I was listening to that's a thing. I don't know if there was even a moment. I think I was listening to um, Valuetainment their podcast and and Patrick was just going off about oh you can do this if you you can't find it you know you want to start a business do this do this and he said oh get some get five kids together and teach them basketball it's like oh wait I used to do that all the time and then it just like a lights uh flipped on for me and then I said you know what like I know what I'm doing let me let me try this because coaching and for most people financially is a pretty much a dead zone you know like you, your high school coach is getting a stipend um outside of like the major schools or what have you mm -hmm. you know most people are doing it on the side so the avenue to do it full time 
no one's going to hire me to do it. I got to do it myself, which is my thought. Um, my also, it's funny. I'm thinking to myself, like, what was the actual tipping point where I was like, I should do this. And I, I think it just kind of dawned on me. Like I've tried everything else. You know, I tried doing teaching guitar. I tried, you play guitar. Yeah. I've played for a long time. Yeah. Wow. Um, play. And then I tried doing, um, social media marketing for companies on the side, um, specifically, specifically for LinkedIn. But when you are not in the corporate world, LinkedIn is, is very hard to, yeah. to stomach. Um, I think a big thing for me was I wanted to do this, the same program. I thought it was a transferable idea. I wanted to go back into coaching, but I also really didn't want to go back into the the competitive like how do i say this like i keep saying like it's a freaking california thing the game <laughs> the game side isn't really what gets me it, it doesn't give me the same joy as the practice side which is really weird because i was the complete opposite as a kid but being able to actually sit there and help people develop um is a big thing for me but also it's you know i was one of those kids and this is where i think really drove me to do this that i was pretty good like i was i was i don't know if i was better but i was a lot more motivated than your average parks and rec like i was a kid that would get pissed when my parents told me they wouldn't keep score in this league I'm like <laughs> why am i here like this is stupid my parents would do the thing too i ask them who'd won and they'd say you both won i'm like i'm like i'm like i'm five years old i'm not an idiot like, like come on somebody had to win yeah exactly <laughs> um and then the other side is you know i don't think i was necessarily at that tribal level and there's not really a middle ground people to develop and get from one to the other right so that's where the idea for dojo came in the name itself actually came from a, a group on that i'm a part of it's like money dojo it's guys like sharing business ideas and i messes the guy i think i messes the guy or I just did it like hey like i'm gonna use dojo as my basketball name so you know <laughs> um but i also really like the the idea of ranking out so the big thing that makes dojo different is we use belts quote-unquote belts in the same way as a karate dojo so every student starts out with white uh sweatband wristband arm uh headband oh cool um and white white dojo shirt and as they progress then they get to the next color um i think that's a much more productive way to go about it than just go about by age because mm. just because a kid goes is 12 months older than he was doesn't mean he's 12 months better. I know it's kind of a cheesy way to put it, but like you see a lot of people's, you know, there's kids who start late. There's kids who, who start basketball late. There's kids who just develop late and the coordination isn't there quite there. There's kids who mentally just like, I think it's the thetas, you know, talking about where you're like, mm -hmm. you're cognizant, like they, some of them just aren't, they don't have it yet. It's not right. their fault. Um, so I think giving them that middle ground and it's a lot of parents are looking for that too. That's something that really got me going is that it's, there's not a lot for kids preschool to third grade, fourth grade on when you're doing travel and all that. Okay. Every, everyone's trying to grab at you, but mm -hmm. if you have how many years is that five years, I can't even count of, of not <laughs> development. Like you're going to go straight into something and not be prepared. I was hoping to be that middle ground. And, and I think the big thing for me is I liked the idea of not being tied to anything. 
So I'm not tied to a league. I'm not tied to a school necessarily. So you could play for DeWitt Panthers High School, or you could be in East Lansing as an elementary school student. Come to me and I can help you get better. Right. I like right. that. I like the perspective of um, the trainer and the the mentor as opposed to kind of the traditional basketball coach, I guess. Right. Um, I know I got completely off as to like what spawned it, but I, I think I'd actually have to get back to him the exact moment. Cause I think it was sort of just a natural, like the idea popped in my head and it just wouldn't go away. And it just kept growing and growing. And then one day I said, you know what? I'm going to try and do uh, a clinic. I'm going to invite everyone on Facebook and see what happens. Got a kid to show up. Kid was too afraid to practice. No offense, I get it. I'm 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 kind of intimidating uh, <laughs> to five, to four year olds and and anyone older than that too. Um, and but she said, hey, I, I know this place in St. John's. This, this court you can use. Great. Hosted a clinic there. Got around six. Got I think one to sign up. Okay, I've got one or two kids that are with me now. I can build something from here. Um. And I think it really just took off from there. It's been three months since I've done this and I've seen a lot of growth. I think a lot of it was just pushing through football season. Cause I, I realized when I started this, I was in the hot, hot, the, the heat of football season. Like it was beginning of August, all the kids were doing summer training and all mm -hmm. this. So I was going against the grain for better or worse. Um, the, the idea for, I'm going to actually go back up for a sec. Cause I think I'm ramming a little bit. So I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Sorry. You're good. <laughs> um, so you started it three months ago and you, how many kids do you have with you now? Uh, around 10, 10. Wow. Yeah. And then you, where do you do this at? So I have one location is the East off community center up in St. John's. Okay. The other is court one North, the Hazlitt location. Okay. Um, and then I'm, I'm looking at some other ones and then I have a couple of, uh, I'm going to be starting to use a court called the innovative barn and starting in January, which is up in Duet. Okay. And then a couple others that I'm, uh, I'll, um, be able to announce. So are you looking at doing this like, like weekly or is it like every night you're in a different location uh, type of thing? It's weekly or? year round. So every okay. Wednesday right now is court one out in East Lansing. That'll change to every Saturday after the new year. St. John's score East Olive is every Thursday. Okay. Keep it consistent. The idea is we give the we give uh, kids two options. Either you do a monthly subscription, you come once a week. You miss a week, you can make it up or double up, and or I can prorate you. We're, we're flexible. The other option is they can buy a set of packages. So it's like a a package of classes. Excuse me. So they buy five classes for I think it was one thirty five. Come whenever you'd like. They never expire. So, you know, if a kid runs into, oh, he's got baseball for the next two months. Don't worry. We'll see you in two months or when you can make it. Right. Um, that way, parents don't feel like they're tied or obligated to always show up every time. Because right. you know better than anyone. The, the parent's schedule can be. Yeah. <laughs> Grand Rapids one day, Detroit the next. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah, we had uh, my kids in gymnastics for a while. And that was, oh, yeah. that was brutal. Both of them. <laughs> and it's like, man, this is this is a lot. Um, so we ended up having to take a break from it. Um, so something like that would have been super beneficial. Um, yeah. 
So is this is this program geared towards kids that are le- trying to learn like the rules of basketball, like get trying to get the coordination, just kind of like the fundamentals? Yeah. So this is one part that I've I've sort of struggled with is to figure out what age I'm going to really target. On paper, I'm three to 12, and I have students that are, are in that age. And when my 12-year-old students hit 13, I'm not going to kick them out the door. I'm going to say, let's keep working together. But I am focused a lot on the younger side. What if somebody who's 13 comes to you? They're, bring them in. It's, it's at that level, if you're, you know, if they're coming with the other kids who are 12 years old and on that cusp, then you're totally fine. Um, I'm not going to turn away anybody. I, they, they just have to understand that, like, you might be the oldest one there. Doesn't mean I'm not going to pay attention to you, but you might you might be the oldest one there. But it's all about individual development anyway. Right. Um, but I am focused more on the youngest one, youngest kids, because those are the ones that don't really have a consistent place to go. You know, they've got one off seasonal parks and rec, maybe yep. everything below fourth grade seems to be a dogfight for anything. So that's where I've really kind of focused on. Plus, with any program travel or not or anything like that you the best idea is to start young build the kids up in the program as opposed to trying to get kids from other places who may have you know jumped around a bit or are just trying to look for a team to right to plug and play um you're much more likely to find people or parents who want to put their kids into a new program if they think they're going to build with it but if a kid's you know sixth grade and he's he's good wants mm-hmm. to plan a travel team I, I can be i'm there for uh supplemental like as an add-on as right. that extra time and to get better um right so and the the big vision i have down the line especially for the younger side is i would like to if i could ask have you ever heard of my gym no i don't so think so it's more it's it's pretty big on the west coast it's a child size jungle gym where they do gymnastics but like for really little kids i used to do it when i was a kid in la um my idea was i big vision is to have an actual location where it's all basketball related games or things for kids to do so for example there's hoops all of the wall about a foot above your average five-year-old's head so they can hit every basket you have um footprints on the ground to show a walkway to do a layup you know like different things that will keep them entertained almost sort of like a a, pl- a big playroom but basketball themed was right. the idea um when i get there i don't know but that's that's like the ultimate goal the other one is to really take this model and go to every rural community because those are the ones that really are looking for something yeah lanesburg bath yeah um st john's you know all the ones that are not close enough to lansing to get that done um and the idea is i'm just going to keep expanding to that because there's areas like that around grand rapids there's areas like that around detroit where they're just kind of too far to be in the big thick of things that's one thing um growing up in charlotte i was a part of uh this program called upwards i don't know if you've ever heard of it it's a it's a basketball program and i don't know if it's a like a religious program but it was done through this church that had like a they had two basketball courts and they would have like essentially it was like um uh, they had a bunch of teams 
um it was like a, a like a league mm-hmm. and uh yeah every saturday they would have all, games all day long and like throughout the week they held practices it was it was pretty cool it was actually pretty cool and it's a really cool program um but what was cool about it is it was for ages that were not like in middle school or high school right. and so it gave it gave people like kids that were in elementary school and younger an opportunity to to kind of feel what that what that is like with well, that competitive nature and right yeah. and get the get the training be able to work with a coach and a team and kind of learn it was always funny watching like the real young kids yeah because i mean they're traveling <laughs> <laughs> they're not paying attention yeah but yeah no it was it was pretty cool it was a cool experience yeah i think i've heard the name i've also heard uh sporties for shorties which i believe is out in meridian now okay um yeah I, i've heard of a couple of programs out here they it seems to be a lot are either like seasonal or right maybe they're not yep. around anymore yeah and as far as the little kids like that's when i tell people that that's my age group their first reaction is good luck <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen me on saturday man i was sweating like towards the end. um how do you manage to keep them from like f- keep them focused because like yeah my son like i'll he could be interested in something and and even if it's active i still have to like pull him in I'm like dude come on yeah let's go <laughs> the big thing i've i've found there's a couple things um you can't really control if they're going to lose their attention span as much you almost no. have to roll with it that's true um we got on time or no no we're good we're good it was my, my watch vibrated and told me i need to stand up so oh. <laughs> we get to the podcast standing up if you want but... <laughs> um no i think the big thing is you can't let them there's a few things so yeah you can't let them get bored when they're bored they'll tell you because kids that especially that age are just too honest to really have a filter <laughs> which is great yeah um but you also have to realize when they they don't always they say what they mean but they don't always mean what they say so i had a kid on saturday like she was getting tired i was trying to all line them up for a race lines of four dumb idea not worth it <laughs> one of the girls is like i want to go home i'm like okay that's okay go you can go home and then two minutes later she's back and says hey can i have a ball i want to play so it's like you know that's fine it's you're back i'm glad um but the big thing is you can't keep them bored and you always have to keep them on their feet um and you can't like when they lose their attention you almost have to go with them so if they're losing attention on something i'm i'm willing to just jump and like if i had 10 minutes for that i wanted to put in a drill and they can only last attention wise for four whatever we move on but it's got to be something quick and exciting to get them back in the mood so if everyone's getting bored okay everyone line up we're about to do a race okay everyone line up we're about to go everyone dunk on the the fisher price hoop and we're going to cheer them on um okay everybody take a ball and we're going to go dribble up and down the court like things that really like oh i want to do that yeah and that makes it a lot easier to keep them going um the other thing is like when kids kind of lose attention as opposed to like using that stern voice which that's what my dad used i used to use it a lot when i was coaching um instead of being like hey pay attention like you gotta be like you have to almost use like your urgency voice like you have to look here like the same way a kid would try and get your attention right as like dad look at me look at me you do the same thing hey look over here i gotta show you something like because they were they'll respond to that a lot better than the negative reinforcement of like hey you better pay attention or else this is gonna happen right um because right. i remember i remember being a kid and that that scared the crap out of me like i especially if it was like your coach oh <laughs> 
And that's the thing. Like, people, like, you you look at me as a kid. I was probably one of the worst. Like, I was very hard to, like, I had a bad attention span. Like, I would kind of goof off. Well, I had to goof off, but I I just wasn't, like, I was by no means a model player. <laughs> so, like, I, I, whenever I get mad, I'm like, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, I was probably worse. <laughs> and it just kind of calms down. Um, and the big thing is, like, when I go back to saying, like, the first thing we say was stand-up comedy. It's like crowd work. So like if the parents can see me and I'm, and everything's kind of going haywire, but I'm still laughing and like having fun. Yeah. Everything's okay. But if I start yelling at kids and like, you know, snapping at them, okay, this is, that's when you start to lose the crowd. Right. Yeah. And then they get scared of you and don't want to come again. Yeah. yeah. You're now, you're the mean coach. <laughs> yeah. And I've been that for a lot of times I was, and I look back, I'm like, God, it was so cringe. Like, yeah, I mean, well, that's important. You learned. You learned from your experiences. You learned from that. I mean, that's the most important thing. Yeah. No, the oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I look back and I'm like, you know, I thought, you know, and that's part of partially why I decided to stay away from the I guess the game side, the competitive. Like I'm I'm coaching a girls travel team as an assistant with um with Quest, but um in general, like I, I find myself, I can coach much better when I just calm down. Right. You know, right. And, and don't take things personally. And I think a big thing also is that inspired on the dojo is just kind of the culture that I would like, uh, basketball to have. It's getting very, like you look AAU, like it's all very, um, you know, like I'm, I'm not a, and this is me. Like I'm not a trash talker. I'm I'm too self conscious to be. First of all, second of all, I believe in karma, and I feel like that stuff just comes around to get you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's also like I, you know, it's hard for me to teach a kid like, hey, like le losing's like, a, you know, failure is a part of life. Like you need to like push through, and you have people basically showboating in their face at everything, and at the high school level, which I saw a lot of. So for me, if I'm able to just avoid that entirely and input the kind of values that I think would, would better serve kids who are playing. And that's, right. that's kind of the positive Good sportsmanship. Impact. Yeah. And again, I am, I was by no means like an angel. I've had my, my screw ups. I am. Well, there's a time and place for it, right? Yeah. For showboating. And like, I mean, to an extent. Yeah. Things. Well, I understand like, look, if you're in the NFL and like you worked your whole life to get to be a receiver in the NFL and you score a touchdown, like by all means, dude, like go off. Have right some fun right like but if you're you know high school middle school and you're at a tournament and you're like starting to you you start you're getting where i'm going with this yeah <laughs> yeah no it's a it's a self-glory thing yeah yeah people want to they i don't know especially young people right they they want the glory for for the things that they do social and it's, media. It, it's social media and it's also just like peers you want your peers to look at you a certain way and so when you when you showboat like that, you think you're cool. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I blame Fortnite. It's a, a flex. This. <laughs> <laughs> I blame like modern gaming cult. I'm a huge gamer, too. That's one of the biggest ones. Yeah. For uh, for showboating and like trash talking is gaming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's a whole other topic. I can't. <laughs> I, I don't use mics for that reason. I just don't mm. want to deal with people like I'm I'm the kind of person that like I'll send someone a good game note. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not a trash talker. Maybe at one point in my life, but yeah, I think it's like you see all the dances and stuff. And that man, I, I just had a really fl funny flash. You ever watch the movie Basketball? 
I don't know. Made by the same guys who do South Park. Okay. Late nineties, about two guys who make up a sport. Um, didn't really age well, but the opening scene was just talking about how sports became more about like the showboating and the sponsors and all that. And it aged very well. If you want go back and watch just the opening scene, the rest of the movies kind of hit or miss. <laughs> um, and I, I think that's part of the reason is I'm, I am kind of a nerd and I like kind of the, like I'm big in the fighting games, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of like where it came from is like, I'm, I'm big in kind of like, cause if you go into the fighting game community, it's all about getting better and training and people are, are very positive about it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took that dojo mentality. I know it's different from a fighting game to actually practicing martial art. Don't get mad at me, please. Um, but just taking that mentality of like, Hey, we're here to build each other up. Like you're going to go play here. You're going to go play for your team. Yep. But at the end of the day, you're coming back here and we're all here to support each other. Right. Um, that's a, that's one of the most important things about martial arts. Um, and I, I actually like the, the concept that you have because I think it's, it's important for people I'm trying to think where I want to go with this. Cause like <laughs> there I've done jujitsu. Okay. Um, and that's one thing that like, it's so intimidating when you go do it, you're like, I've, I've sparred, I have a video I'll, I'll show you after this, that I, I was sparring with one of the top jujitsu, uh, trainers in the world. He trains UFC fighters. Um, and, but like, the thing is one thing that's a super intimidating thing to do. But when, when you walk into a room like that, like it, when you have like a, a culture of people that are willing to accept you and help you guide, guide you through the process. It makes it so much easier. Also, uh, I can't remember my other point. I had another point and I lost it. But yeah, no, it's an important thing. It's an important thing for uh, young people to have good sportsmanship when they walk into a place and not think that they're the best. Because that's the thing with like martial arts is nobody's good. That's, I mean, there's always somebody that's better than you. And it's like that in every sport. There, there will always be somebody better than you. So if you can train with with other people and help each other out, I don't know. It builds like a, a team effort, team, team mentality. Yeah. And that's really what I'm looking for. And I actually have done a little bit of jujitsu. Okay. Um, And that's what I, I've done jujitsu and I was, I say practice squad, um, for club boxing for Michigan when I was there and with martial arts, it's really like when you first start out, it's not about if you're going to get, can I curse on this? Yeah. Oh, it's not about if you're going to get your ass kicked or not. It's like, how, how long can you last? before you get your ass kicked <laughs> for the first six months. Right. Right. Like how yeah. long, if you're rolling for jujitsu, how long before the guy pins you? Right. Did you make it a couple minutes? That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, for boxing is like, how long can you last before you're like, Oh, I'm just getting destroyed. Which just happened to me right. when I was trying it out. And it's to push through that. It, it, I think it makes it to the point where that sort of showboating thing is not as yeah needed. Cause you're, you're more confident in yourself for that. It's like kind of think right. of, you know, you always think about the cliche of the guy who always talks about wanting to get into a fight at a bar is the last guy who actually knows what he's doing. And the guy who yeah. doesn't say anything is the guy you don't want to fight. Yeah. Kind of the, the same thing with yeah. that. That's uh, that my other point was that I remember now is that I, so I've done a, a bunch of different athletic things in my adulthood, so, you know, like post high school and stuff. Um, I've done kettlebell competitions. I've done marathons. I've done, I haven't done a powerlifting. I wanted to do a powerlifting event, but I went to go watch one. Okay. And, one thing that was common amongst every all of those things is the support that everybody gave you, including the people that were competing. Mm-hmm. Like I did a kettlebell competition and I was struggling. I was not in great shape. I didn't I barely train for it. Um, 
and everybody in the crowd was cheering me on and like other people i was competing against were cheering me on i'm like this is amazing like yeah. the, typically you have this mindset in sports of like i'm the best like i screw that person i don't want that person to be better than me they should lose but no they were cheering me on I'm like man this is awesome and so yeah it's it's interesting to see that in in different sports yeah and the ultimate goal would be to take that to other sports as well right um you know i Football would be the, the next one for me. And then probably baseball because of my wife. I'm not great, but I could, I could do <laughs> I could I could work on that. Yeah, no, I the the mentality is really what I think makes us different. It's our unique selling point. It's like we're not here to tell you if you don't do well enough, you're going to get cut. We're not, not creating to, meatheads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I hope they're as strong as meatheads. <laughs> right, right. But like mentally, I want them to because the. the sports psychology the psychology of of the game of any game is something that's not always in depth covered especially at a young age mm -hmm. you know you're not talking to kids aren't really being told as much about pre-game rituals and how to get in the right mindset for a game most people most adults aren't really talking about that at all yeah. it's kind of like honestly it's a it's a very much a podcast fear sort of thing right but for kids it's not like you know i can't i can't think of the last time i talked oh say i talk to all the kids i can talk to about like hey what do you do before the game like what you do out of here outside of here is 100 times more important just to what i do when i'm with you in here right but a lot of it especially with education it's just you know you have to whatever's here right now is the most important yeah so understand that you're limited within the time you have you're yeah. going to be you're always going to be limited within the time you have um but you'd be able to give them a path to improve on their own so when they come back to you then you can work from there yeah that's the big thing that i think is missing from a lot of it both in, both in the mental and the physical side right um i think for the mental side a lot of it, it social media makes it so much worse too like you know if you're any i mean think if you're any if you're a, a one and a half star recruit or even a one star for basketball i'm going up the age you're getting thousands of people watching you mm -hmm. you know yeah it's, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, and it's not talked about as much, I would say. No. You know, it's a lot of a lot of practices are just get in there, let's get the drills done. Here's the offense. See you later. Right. Yeah. They don't they're not building um a habit that you need to you need to also do at, at home. Right. Um, they're not telling you like you should have this kind of routine, you should be disciplined. I mean, because like when I when I did basketball, it was like you just go to practice and then you go home like you and you practice. That was it. Yeah. There was no like routine like, hey, you guys should be exercising. You should be eating healthy at home during the week. Eat before you come like this. Maybe you should eat these kind of foods before you come. That way you have energy to burn. No, not none of that. Yeah. And and a big thing is, you know, what I try to whenever I have someone who just starts out first trial, Assuming there's not too many kids, I'd say, I'm going to show you some stuff that you can also do on your own, that you don't need me here, that you can do at the park, at school. Right, and right. you, if you do it every day, you're going to get better. Um, usually start with like form shooting and then go from there. But the point is like, you want to give them something that they can take home. Right. You don't want to give them homework, but you want to give something that they can take and, and go elsewhere with. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part as well. Cool. Well, we're an hour into this um time flies Damn. yeah time flies really fast on this <laughs> podcast last night i did a podcast that was two hours long but that wasn't that one was live and we were engaging with an audience that's but cool yeah yeah cool. it was fun 
Um, so where can people find the dojo? Um, how can people sign up and any information regarding that? Yeah. So the website is just hardcourtdojo.com. Um, I will, I imagine we'll have the links in the description if possible. Yep. Um, check those out. If you have any questions, my, my personal phone number is on the page. You can text me anything. Um, there's also a trial, a form there to sign up for a trial. Um, first trial is always free, no strings attached. Um, and I'm always open to conversation. So if you want to reach me there, Facebook is by far the best way to, to get a hold of me. So. All right, cool. Well, Daniel, thanks for doing this. This was, this was fun. We'll do it again. Yeah, sounds good, Dave. All right, Thank man. You. Thank you.